Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This morning we're going to be looking at another one of the Old Testament names for God, Yahweh Sidkenu, which means the Lord our righteousness. We're going to look at where it appears in the Old Testament, who it actually refers to, and we're going to look at what righteousness is and how his righteousness can become ours. The name Yahweh Sikhanu only appears twice in the Old Testament. Both of them are in the book of Jeremiah. One in chapter 33, it refers to the city of Jerusalem being called by the name of her God, Yahweh Sikhanu. The other one is in chapter 23, where Yahweh himself speaks prophetically of his coming Messiah, whom he calls Yahweh Sikhanu. The setting in this time of Jeremiah the prophet is that he was commissioned to preach about the coming judgment against Israel and Judah. Not a fun thing to preach. (laughs) But God told them, the Babylonians are coming, but I don't want you to fight against them. This is your judgment. They had been turned far, far away from God, serving other false gods. And he said, this is the judgment that's coming. Don't fight and you will live. (laughs) Let them take you into captivity and you will be fine. Don't fight. Unfortunately, the false prophets were saying, oh, no, 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 we got this. We got the temple. We got Yahweh. We're all good. That wasn't true. (laughs) Because they had gone far, far away, far, far away from God, and were bowing down to idols and sacrificing children, and they had gone so far away from their covenant. But God was faithful to his part of the covenant. He has to bring the judgment because that's part of the covenant. And so that's what he did. So God told them this was going to be twofold. One, it is a judgment, but it's also protective custody. Because it was out of those tribes that went into Babylon that Messiah would come. He was protecting the salvation of mankind by putting them into this time out. So our scripture here begins in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, where God begins telling the wicked rulers of that time, those who were in authority, what they could expect. Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2 says, Woe! Woe does not mean stop, horsey. It doesn't mean that. (laughs) It means judgment. Nothing good is coming. Woe. Woe be unto the pastors. That is not me. He's talking about rulers and overlords, people who were supposed to be shepherding them. So when we read the scripture, we can't put ourselves in there. (laughs) Woe be unto the pastors, the rulers, that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not visited them. And behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Basically, God says, okay, I've given you plenty of time to repent. Now you're going to start reaping what you've sowed. You're going to receive what you've been giving out. They did reap. Then God goes on to encourage the neglected sheep, the people that these rulers have been supposed to be taking care of, and he encourages them to see beyond their present circumstances. He prophesies to them of a better future. He tells them, that they're going into captivity for 70 years. And while they're there, he says, make the most of it. 
Yes, you're in timeout, but you can have businesses and prosperity and family and gardens. You can have everything you need even though you're in this timeout, even though you're going to have a government over you that's not of your choosing. Make the best of where you are because in 70 years, your children and your children's children will come back to the land of Jerusalem. So he tells them that. And in verse 3, he says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them back again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. This is what he did. He prophesied this to them before it happened. And looking back, we can say God did exactly what he said he would do. We always have to see that. That's part of what we're supposed to see when we look back. God did bring them back 70 years later to their own land, and they did rebuild their temple. They did rebuild it with the help of King Cyrus, and he did give them good leadership. He gave them Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. So God fulfills exactly what he says he's going to fulfill. But he wanted to give them even more. He wanted them to think even higher. He wanted to tell them to hope for the Messiah. In chapter 23, verse 5, it says this, And behold, the days cometh, saith Yahweh, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and they shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name where, where he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. It goes on, and he tells them this exodus is going to be so glorious that he's going to actually change the profession of those who come out. And it goes on, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord Yahweh, that they shall no more say, Yahweh liveth, which brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt, but Yahweh liveth, which brought up and led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all of the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their homeland. In other words, he says, this is so miraculous. He's telling them this all in advance. We have the advantage of going, yeah, 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 we know. <laughs> we are in, yeah, he did that, yeah. But imagine God giving you a prophecy saying, your children are going to live here and have that, and knowing it's going to come to pass. And that's exactly what happened. This was nothing short of miraculous. God is a good prophet. God is a good prophet. Whatever he speaks comes to pass. So they did come back out of Babylon. They did come back and rebuild their temple. But they are still looking to this day. They are still waiting for Yahweh Sidkin, the Lord our righteousness, because they know this refers to the Messiah. Both Jewish and Christian scholars agree that this scripture is a prophecy regarding the Messiah. Both of them. Now the Christian scholars say, aha, Jesus. <laughs> the Jewish scholars are going, one of these days, one of these days. They don't see him for who he is. Now we know that this righteous branch and this king prophesied about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are several places in scriptures where this verifies that. Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12 says this, And say to him, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh said by oath, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of Yahweh. Again, the Jewish scholars know this refers specifically to the Messiah. 
Verse 13, it is he who shall build the temple of Yahweh and shall bear royal honor. He'll be a king. And he shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. In other words, he's going to be both priest and king, which almost never happens. <laughs> Again, they know this feast is the prophecy regarding Christ. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Sing aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. That's read every year <laughs> on Palm Sunday. It is the foretelling of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So when we look back, sometimes we lose the marvel because we know. But this happened hundreds and hundreds of years before it came to pass. But we can look back and go and say, see, God is faithful. Whatever he says is what he does. What's interesting about this is that this righteous branch, this king, is called Yahweh. You see, this is something that the Jewish scholars kind of have a problem with because this actually says that God, Yahweh Sr., <laughs> is calling this person Yahweh Jr., Yahweh Sidkenu. He is calling this person by his own name. Now we say, oh, that's no problem. God the Father, God the Son. But they're like, God calling another human being Yahweh? They don't know quite what to make of that, so they try to twist it and make it say other things. <laughs> you can't get around the fact that this is the Messiah, and God calls him Yahweh, so he is indeed God, and he's a human being. We see all of this in the Old Testament. It's always been there so that people could see and look for what was supposed to come. And then he says, not only is his name Yahweh, which means the up-close and personal God, but he adds the words, our righteousness. He is going to be Yahweh, and he's going to be our righteousness. Again, they don't know what to do with that. That's an amazing prophecy. This is God the Father saying, through God the Son, I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm not just going to make you righteous. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm not going to have a list of rules for you to follow so that you can be considered righteousness. I'm going to give you my righteousness. And then, of course, this prophecy has certainly come to pass. So what exactly is righteousness? The easiest definition is rightness. It gets, gets big and, and confusing when we add extra syllables. <laughs> rightness. And it means to be right in accordance with God's laws and character. In other words, rightness according to God. Because what's right in man's eyes is not necessarily right. <laughs> we have it as an understanding of having right standing with God, knowing that we are right in his eyes, that there's nothing wrong in us that would make us unacceptable. That's righteousness. God is always right. He's never wrong. There is no darkness, no sin, no evil, no shadow of turning. God is only good, only good and only righteous. He is pure and holy and sinless, and he wants us to be just like him.
He wants us to have his kind of righteousness. Now, when you look at the word righteousness, Sidkenu, the, the root word means right, straight, or just. And what you find when you start looking at these words is that righteousness and justice always go hand in hand. And God is straight. In other words, there's nothing crooked. There's nothing bent. There's nothing wicked. There's nothing out of line. <laughs> All of these words mean exactly the same thing. He's always right. <laughs> and there is no evil or darkness in him. But righteousness and justice always go together. You can't be unjust and be right. You can't be wrong and be just. Those things don't match up. They always go hand in hand. So we know that Yahweh, the up-close and personal God, is always just and right. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it says this, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. I love this. Not only does it tell us exactly what righteousness is, it's justice. There's no wrong. He's only upright. But more of Jesus. That's the whole point of the Old Testament, is that we're supposed to go there and see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is not changed with a new covenant. He just has a new covenant with us, and he deals with us differently. But he's always been the same. I love this because we know Jesus is the rock. And we know that his works are perfect. His works of creation and his works of salvation. He's perfect. And all of his ways are just. So salvation is a just process, a just work, a complete work. There is nothing wrong or unjust about it. And that's what God is. He is all of these wonderful things. He is righteous, he is holy, he is just. But humans, on the other hand, are not. <laughs> By nature, human beings are selfish and self-centered, and we have no true righteousness of our own. The good things we do do not undo the wrong things we do, which is why we needed God to send the Messiah, Yahweh Sikhanu, to come and give us his very own righteousness. Now, in order for God to give us his very own righteousness, he had to deal with sin. All of mankind was in Adam when Adam chose to sin. The moment Adam disobeyed, he was unplugged from God. I always think of it as Adam having an umbilical cord to God because God was his source. Everything came from God. There was nothing hindering this relationship between Adam and God. All his righteousness was Adam's. All his love was Adam's. Peace, joy. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Everything God is was also what Adam had access to continually. God is the light. He is the truth. All of those things. And Adam was plugged in until he decided to unplug. When Adam chose to disobey, he unplugged himself from the light and the truth and the love and the goodness and the mercy. He unplugged himself and he plugged himself into Satan. He plugged himself into darkness. The light went out for Adam. And unfortunately, the light went out for all of mankind. It, it amazes me when you look at the political scene today of such darkness and blindness that one side will absolutely not see what is right and good. Killing babies is never a good thing, never a right thing. But what people on one side will die you know, they're so angry and so mad that they're not getting their way. And that's what I see. Why can they not see the truth? Why can they not see what's right? How can you say killing an unborn child is right? 
they cannot see the truth because they are not plugged into the light. They can only see what is self-centered and selfish. They can't see the way we can see. When you come to Christ, you come to the light and the truth. Your understanding is open, and you begin to say, how did I never see this before? It is the difference between living in the light of the truth of who God is and who we are in him, and being in utter darkness, unable to see. But that's not what God wanted for them, and that's not what he wanted for Adam. When Adam ate of the forbidden fruit, I always think, don't you wish you had an undo button? You see, I love my undo button on my computer. Type, 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 undo. Type, 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 uh, undo. Let's change this, let's move that. Undo, undo, I love my undo button. (laughs) If only there had been an undo button for Adam. But the truth is, there's never an undo button for any of us. Adam could not undo what he did. So God had to find a way to fix what he did. Because God is holy and righteous and just, righteousness and justice always go hand in hand, so he can't just ignore what Adam has done. We know in our hearts the sin should be punished. Somebody steals from you. What should happen to them? (laughs) Somebody kills somebody that you love. What should happen to them? See, it's very easy for us to say, well, they should go to jail. They should pay for what they've done. And you know what? That's true. That's true. God hates unrighteousness. He hates evil because evil and sin always hurt people. And so he says, if you can't be governed by Christ, then you have to be governed by law. And that's why we have laws to restrain evil. So it is right for people who break the law to go to jail. Hopefully they get saved while they're in there. (laughs) God's mercy and grace, I love that. That's the point, is that God had to deal with Adam's sin. He had to do something with it. He couldn't just ignore it. Now, God told him before he ever made this choice, um, if you eat of the tree, you'll die. The penalty for sin is death. It's not a spanking. It's not a timeout. It's not protective custody. (laughs) Those were not the penalties for their sin. Those were the consequences of their sin. Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He didn't take the consequences of our actions. Now, he has mercy. Praise God for mercy. (laughs) When we do dumb stuff, (laughs) his mercy is available to us. But people, when they start to come into the message of grace, they kind of forget that. Oh, Jesus took the penalty for my sin. He's not going to judge me for my sin. I can live however I want. But it doesn't work out real well in life. Because you start doing things that are wrong, you're going to start reaping what you're sowing. Jesus didn't take the consequences. He took the penalty. Jesus is our undo button, if you will. In the Old Testament, in order for sin to be dealt with righteously, God had to allow the blood of animals to temporarily cover man's sin. Because the penalty for sin is death. No way around it. So God said, we'll make a temporary situation. Instead of requiring your blood, which is still technically required, you can 
have a substitute. In Hebrews 9.22, it says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So sacrifices were sort of like using a credit card. It allowed God to set aside the sins until they would actually be paid for. I always get this great picture when I think about this. You ever go to the grocery store and you know, put your little credit card in there? Well, imagine having a fuzzy sheep. <laughs> You're going to pay your bill with a fuzzy sheep. You're going to run that sheep through that credit card machine, right? <laughs> That's kind of what they were doing in the Old Testament. Because during the process of making the sacrifice, they would bring their little sheep and they would lay their hands on that little sheep and God would consider their sins transferred to the sheep. In other words, they've bought their forgiveness, okay? So they get to take whatever they've bought home, well, just like we do, go to the grocery store or the department store, run that card through there if we're using credit. It's not actually paid for yet. There's a bill coming. And that is what they were doing back then. There was a bill coming. It wasn't their credit card. It was God's. You see, the bill wasn't going to be charged to them. The bill was going to be charged to God because man can't pay for his own sins. That's why he had this substitute. The penalty for sin was death. And God said, I'll accept a substitute on your behalf. All of those little lambs that were ran through the credit card machine <laughs> were just the foreshadowing of the one true Lamb of God that would be slain for us. Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Perfect means complete. Verse 2, Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, what she's saying here is, they knew they had forgiveness. Okay, God's not going to punish me for my sin. The lamb took the punishment. But they knew they were still guilty. They couldn't get rid of their guilt. It didn't change their heart. It didn't change what they were. What they had was so much less than what we have. They knew they were forgiven, but they would still live with their guilt. And I think this is where a lot of the church lives today. They see themselves as forgiven, but still guilty. Like God says, I see it. I know you didn't mean it. It's okay. I forgive you. You're still guilty, but forgiven. That's not what God does for us. That's what the old covenant offered you. It was better than living connected to Satan. <laughs> okay, it was a whole lot better than that. They could live under the blessing. But so many of the body of Christ struggle with a guilty conscience. And I think it's because they don't fully understand what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has brought justice to God for all of our sins. God is always righteous, and God loves justice. 
And it would be justice for us to die and go to hell. If we got what is our due, because that's what justice is, getting what's due. What we have merited is nothing less than hell. But God doesn't want us to go to hell. But God wants justice. He's holy and righteous. But he also loves us. So how does he get both? Because that's what he wanted. He wanted justice and he wanted us. He says, I have to have both. I don't want just justice because if I got just justice, I'd have no kids. I have to have justice because I'm righteous, but I also want my kids. How do I get both? In order to have both, he gave his only begotten son to die in our place, to take the penalty of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus to be sin for us and to take our punishment. And God is satisfied with Jesus' payment. What Jesus did was more than enough to pay for all the sin, for all mankind, for all time. If God says he's satisfied with the penalty of my sins being paid in full, who am I to disagree? But that's what we do. We feel guilty. We beat ourselves up. And it's because we don't understand justice has been served in regard to my sin. God says that what Jesus did satisfies his justice. Romans 3, 21-24 says this, But now the righteousness, the right standing, but now the right standing of God has been made manifest or apparent apart from the law. In other words, apart from keeping the rules, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And the righteousness of God the right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And here he's talking about Jews and Gentiles because Jews thought they had an advantage. They didn't need a Savior. They had the law. They had their system. And he's like, no. <laughs> no. Uh, next verse. For all have sinned <laughs> and all have fallen short of God's glory and perfection. And the same all who have sinned are the same all who are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, the purchase price in Jesus Christ. Verse 25. And God put forth as a propitiation. I love the word propitiation. By his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. What is he talking about? He's talking about all those little credit card sheepies. <laughs> the account came due. God says, I'm going to pay for all of them because I can't, if I'm truly righteous and truly just, I can't leave them unpunished. There has to be a payment made in full. You just can't put it on the sheepy credit card forever. <laughs> it has to come due. It has to be paid. And propitiation means satisfaction for wrath. God so despises evil. When we talk about grace, we think, that, well, there must not be any more wrath. There's no more wrath for us. But there is wrath against sin. God hates the evil that takes place in this world. 
He hates the horrible things that are being done to women and children just to get started. <laughs> when you look at what's going on in this world today, you're like, God, why don't you do something? And God said, yeah, I already did. I already did. I sent my son so that no one has to live in that kind of darkness. They don't have to be subject to that kind of rule in their life. They can come into the light. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, completely right, and the justifier, the one who declares innocent, the one who has faith in Christ. 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the full payment, the full satisfaction. It doesn't matter what we did or how big we blew it. He says, I'm satisfied with my son's sacrifice. Don't bring me your good works and tell me this is going to make up for what you did. It won't. Don't come to me and say, God, what can I do so that I won't feel this guilt anymore? It's not about what we do. It's about what we believe. Is what Jesus did enough to pay for my sin? Yes. But how many of us don't really believe that? We think God should be mad at us. <laughs> we think he should punish us. So often we take the job on ourselves. We punish ourselves. Look what I said. Look what I did. Look what I didn't do. He says, justice has been served. The penalty has been paid. It is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yahweh Sid knew himself, that God the Father could have both justice and us. And it is only by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ as our precious lamb that his righteousness, his right standing, is imputed to us. He took our sins and he gave us right standing with the Father. Therefore, the Father has the right to legally declare us not guilty. Now think about that. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> he's righteous and just, and yet he says, because of what my son has done, when we believe that he is our substitute, that he truly took our sin, our place, our punishment, then God says, if you believe that, you're no longer guilty. You're no longer guilty. You're justified. I see you just as if you'd never sinned. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. I never made that mistake. I never took that left turn. I never did it. Why? Because Christ has taken the penalty for it. The truth is, when he says we are justified, he says we are in full compliance with the law. Why? Because Jesus' obedience is credited to us. He sees us as perfectly compliant with the law, even when we mess up, because that's our position in Christ. Now he will correct you. Praise God. He does correct us. He doesn't leave us on our own to go out there and try to figure it out. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us our God positioning system. <laughs> he gives us his presence constantly. He does correct us because he doesn't want us falling into the poison and the cancer of sin. 
We are not forgiven sinners. So many believers think that's what they are, a forgiven sinner. You know what a forgiven sinner is? Somebody who's still guilty. They're still bearing their guilt, bearing their shame. Yes, God's forgiven me. Yes, he's not punishing me, but I'm still guilty. Then you don't understand what Jesus did. God doesn't see us as if we're guilty and forgiven. He sees us as innocent. That's what forgiveness does. It takes away our sin and makes us new. We don't keep our sins. He actually takes them away. Years ago, I wondered over and over again. I got stuck in my mind for probably weeks. Jesus, why did you have to die? It just broke my heart to think about it. Why did you have to bear my sin? Why did you have to take my stripes? Why did you have to take the thorns? Why? He, you love me, and I love you back. I don't want you to have to have done that for me. I wanted an undo button for Jesus to take away the suffering, to take away the pain, to take away everything he did. Lord, I don't want you to suffer on my behalf. I don't want that to be the truth. I said, why couldn't we get somebody really evil to bear all the sin? <laughs> somebody like Hitler or Mussolini. Oh, what about Satan? He started this whole mess. Let's crucify him. <laughs> you see, I didn't understand what Jesus had done for me. I saw myself as a forgiven sinner. Forgiven but guilty. Now this was an actual conversation I had with him. You see, my heart was in the right place in that I so love my Jesus that I didn't want him to have to pay that penalty price for me. I believed I was forgiven, but I still felt guilty all the time. I would see my lack of perfection and beat myself up continuously because if I just beat myself up enough, I could get perfect. I could make myself right. I didn't understand what Jesus did. I didn't see myself as righteous. I thought my righteousness came with obedience and left with disobedience. And I had lots of mistakes and failures and sins. And finally, one day, God answered my question, why did Jesus have to pay the penalty? And the Lord said to me, do you remember that credit card lamb? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, why did it have to be without blemish? Couldn't just bring any lamb. It had to be a spotless lamb. And then I remembered. It was because a spotless lamb was considered completely innocent. And when the worshiper symbolically placed his hands on the lamb, all of his guilt was transferred onto the lamb. But all of the lamb's innocence was transferred back to the worshiper. He said, Satan doesn't have any innocence to give you. Satan doesn't have any righteousness to give you. Hitler didn't have any righteousness to give you. If they died, it would be justice. But he wouldn't be able to have justice and us. 
He needed a lamb that was spotless and pure so he could give that righteousness, that right standing, that innocence back to us so he could plug us in again to God so that we could be one with God and he could be our source again of everything that we have need of. When we fall short of God's glory and perfection because of sin and condemnation comes knocking at our door, we need to remember these two things. Justice has been served. Big and small sins, failures and omissions. Justice has been served in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two, righteousness has been received. We have the very innocence of the Lamb of God transferred to us. Yahweh Sidkenu, Jesus Christ, is indeed our righteousness. He is our right standing with the Father. Today, we have seen that Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, is the one and only Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the long-awaited Messiah prophesied by Jeremiah. And he is also the Son of God who is himself God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. He alone could bring his Father both justice and us. As the sinless Lamb of God, he alone has the righteousness of God to be able to impart to us. And because he is Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, we can say, Amen. 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 This morning we are going to celebrate this truth that all of our guilt has been transferred to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. All of my failure, all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all of my shame, and from Christ all of his innocence becomes mine. God sees me and you as though we have never sinned. We stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, dressed in righteousness, holiness, purity. That is salvation. Amen.